All right. Thank you guys very much for your ministry today. If you've been with us uh, for these few weeks, we have been in the Gospel of Matthew. Things have been going great. Last uh, week in chapter 10, we saw how uh, Jesus sent out the 12 disciples and amazing things were happening. God was blessing and lame were walking and deaf were hearing and Jesus had raised the dead and all of those things were going on and the gospel of the kingdom was being preached. But then in chapter 11, the tide starts to turn. Today we'll learn that Israel's beginning to reject her king. We see that through the arrest of John the Baptist and various cities that Jesus refers to in chapter 11 that, that basically had the, the message of the king and, and the king himself there, and, and they just said, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> so the tide is beginning to turn. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read the first 11 verses as we get started today. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Father, I pray that today as we look into your precious word, God, you would use your word to minister to our heart today. Father, we believe that you speak through the power of your word, and God, we need to hear from heaven today. So I pray you would speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to share with you in this passage of Scripture, this chapter 11, we're going to look at the whole chapter, three different words that Jesus spoke about, and each of these phrases have three words, and it kind of divides up what I want to say today. And the first word is in verse 4, and it's go tell John. The second word is in verse 21, woe to you. And then the third is in verse 28, come to me. Go tell John, woe to you, come to me. These three words give us the message that Christ is trying to communicate to us today. The first one is in verses 1 through 15, and we're going to say this, go tell John, is a word of encouragement for those who doubt. 
Notice with me John's doubts concerning Jesus. Now, John must have thought, if I am the Messiah's forerunner and Jesus is the Messiah, why am I locked in prison? Are you the one, Jesus, or do we look for someone else? Well, John was locked in this prison. This prison was located in the, near the Dead Seas in the fortress of Machaerus. And he was suffering under Herod Antipas, who had finally locked him up. And the details of that is in another portion of Scripture because he preached the word and uh, the king's family didn't like it too much. And so they locked him in prison. And John was having a momentary doubt. And so he sent two of his disciples to find Jesus while he was locked there and said, Are you the one? Or do we look for someone else? What caused John to doubt? From his high of saying to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. But even this great prophet had a momentary doubt in his faith. What caused that? Opposition. I mean, he had thought that he is the one that's preaching this. uh, He was the forerunner of the Messiah. And people on the whole did not receive John's message like they should have. And so he had some opposition. And that caused him to doubt. Possibly also his suffering. He was in prison. I mean, he's supposed to be out doing his job. and, And Jesus was... and. And he now is suffering, and that caused him. But possibly his confusion regarding the Scriptures. He, as a prophet, like all the other prophets, saw the Messiah. And why was Jesus not baptizing with fire, meaning the judgment? Why was he not ascending the throne? So John needed some reassurance and clarification. For he had expected the Messiah to overcome wickedness and judge sin and bring in the kingdom And now he's locked up. Notice the reassurance that Christ gives to John. In those three words in verse 4, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Go tell John. These three words are powerful. As John sat in prison, confused and doubting, Jesus uses something that John would be familiar with to give him assurance. More assurance than he would have if Jesus would say, John, I'm the one. He uses something even more powerful. Go tell John this. Go tell John, verses 4 to 6, the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You know what Jesus was telling John? John, who knew the Old Testament Scriptures, who preached the Old Testament Scriptures, he told them, look into the Word. John, remember what it says by Isaiah the prophet in chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What he's saying is, John, you know the Bible. What is happening here, out here, the dead are being raised. The deaf hear. Exactly the fulfillment of the Scriptures is happening. That Messiah would do this when He comes. This is happening. The Word of God being fulfilled was that encouragement that John needed. Notice Christ's comments regarding John. 
John was a man of strong conviction. And those born of women, Jesus says, there was not a risen one greater than John the Baptist. He was the greatest prophet. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one that the Scriptures predicted that would come. And he was the greatest prophet because he not only predicted Jesus would come, he got to see him with his own eyes. But Jesus says, even even though he was the greatest born of women, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. In other words, you and I, because we get to see the full purpose of Jesus. Not only his coming as king, he is coming, his death on the cross and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension and the prophecy of his second coming. We get the full picture. We get more than John the Baptist had. He only had a little peek. We are recipients of the of the gospel blessings on this side of Calvary. We are blessed indeed. Christ comments for regarding John. But you know, John the Baptist is not alone because you and I need reassurance as well. Have you been there, my friend? Maybe not locked in prison, but you've been there when your heart is broken. You're filled with confusion. You're filled with doubts. Maybe like John the Baptist or Thomas, you maybe wonder, is this Christian life worth it after all? Are the miracles in the Bible really true? Is heaven real? Is hell still there? Did God create everything? Does God really have everything in the sovereign control of His hand? Does Jesus really care about me? You know what Jesus would do? He'd point to the Scriptures. These things have happened, and they're happening, and they will happen. You don't have to worry, my doubting child. Jesus cares about your lapses. You know, there was a a verse here that encouraged him, that encouraged us, go tell John. And Jesus is saying, tell my child, tell my children, give them reassurance. There was a song that was out in the 80s by the songwriter and singer Twyla Paris. Maybe you remember this song, The Warrior is a Child. Lately, I've been winning battles left and right But even winners can get wounded in the fight. People say that I'm amazing, strong beyond my years, but they don't see inside of me I'm hiding all the tears. They don't know that I go running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. I drop my sword and cry for just a while because deep inside this armor, the warrior is a child. Unafraid because his armor is the best, But even soldiers need a quiet place to rest. People say that I'm amazing, never face retreat, but they don't see the enemies that lay me at His feet. They don't know that I go running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. I drop my sword and cry for just a while, because deep inside this armor, the warrior is a child. My friend, I tell you, you have a Savior. I have a Savior that looks into our hearts and our doubts and confusion and our wonderings. And I tell you, sometimes we're like a roller coaster, aren't we? We're up and where faith is strong. And then we're like John says, are you the one? Is this real? 
Jesus knows, and He's sending word to you today. Be encouraged. I'm the one. I'm your Savior, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Go tell John. But now we see another word of Jesus here in these verses of Scripture. And this is, this is a word of judgment for those who reject. And the word is, woe to you. Now, in this passage of Scripture, in verse 16, we see a picture of rejection by the children. They said, what is going on here? But to what shall I liken this generation? Jesus is speaking here. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. What is happening here? Well, Jesus is using the illustration of childhood games. <laughs> I'd mentioned a couple weeks ago that when I grew up, we didn't have the internet. We had what is called the outer net. When mom says, go out, go out and play. You remember that? I mean, we'd make up all kinds. We'd play Cowboys and Indians. We'd play Red Rover, Red Rover. We'd play Mother May I. We'd go out. And even in elementary school, I'm sure that they've banned this game. We played Crack the Whip. You had the big boys on the, on the start and had the little kids like me on the back. And you just kind of took these kids like a... And they went flying everywhere. Some of them ended up in the ditch over here. That was a lot of fun. And the teachers were out there and they liked it. But today, you'd probably get sued for playing a game like that out, outside. We had all kinds of fun childhood games. Well, Jesus is talking about some kids here, and he's liking this generation to a bunch of spoiled kids. And so the game was, they played two games. One of them was called Wedding, and the other was called Funeral. <laughs> and, and the Wedding, they says, we piped to you, but you're not dancing. And the, and the, and the other says, we are, uh, the other one was the idea of, of the dirge here, and you are not going along with it. So Jesus compared the generation to a, a group of children sitting in the marketplace who could not be pleased by anything, like children rejecting suggestions to play the flute or mourn for the funeral dirge. Jesus says, just like John, John came preaching judgment, he came preaching the, the funeral message type of thing, and you didn't listen to him. And here I come, <laughs> I'm, I'm celebrating, and you're not responding to me either. And we see the rejection of some of the cities. The judgment is pronounced on the cities in these verses. Notice what he says in verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Because they did not repent. He said, woe to you. There's that phrase, woe to you. And you notice what color it is in your Bibles? It's in red, meaning Jesus spoke it. Woe to you. Judgment is pronounced. Though it was not Jesus' primary thrust in his first advent to pronounce judgment, he did denounce sin. And here he specifically pronounced condemnation against the cities in which some of his most significant miracles had occurred. Chorazin. Bethsaida, and Capernaum, all three near the Sea of Galilee where Jesus had his preaching tours and his healing tours. He would go through these cities and he would heal people that were deaf, 
that were blind, that were lame, and raise people from the dead right in front of their noses. And this is in preparation of causing them to repent and making them ready for the kingdom of heaven. Thank you very much for healing this person. Thank you for raising that person to the dead. But thanks, but no thanks, we don't want you. Imagine that. Jesus in their town. As a matter of fact, the city of Capernaum is where Jesus had lived. He was basing his operation from there, and he was living there, and they saw all these miracles, and they had the, the, the position of being exalted to heaven, and Jesus said, you will be sent down to hell because you rejected the message. Imagine that. They rejected Jesus' message, woe to you. And I think that we learned the lesson of the necessity of repentance today. There is a certain segment of Christianity that wants to eliminate those three words from the Bible. Woe to you. I saw it in the newspaper last week, not this Friday, but the Friday before. There was a retired pastor who writes, uh, I write uh, a, a devotion, and a lady does, and another pastor, it seems like three of us kind of rotate and he did an excellent devotion, uh, Saturday sermon in the newspaper, the Charlotte Sun, on God disciplining his children. That's very biblical, you know, the, if, the Lord, if you, God doesn't discipline you, you're not one of his children. And I considered it pretty mild, but on Wednesday last week, a lady uh, wrote a letter to the editor condemning that retired pastor. Remember reading that? This excellent devotion on God's kind discipline got her to write a letter condemning him and saying that God does not judge us. He is about giving us good news. We're all God's children. And he called the pastor's sermon a toxic version of God. I tell you, she does not know the Bible. I've been reading this, uh, uh, finished this latest book by Erwin Lutzer, The Church in Babylon. He just wrote it this year. It's an excellent book. And one of the chapters, what he is doing, he, he shows us several false gospels that are being purported in today's world, today's Christianity. And one of them he calls the gospel of permissive grace. Listen as I read a few quotes from his book. He says, we are saved by grace and we live by grace. But some, and he says, I've been hearing seeing and hearing in the past decade teachers and preachers who offer people grace in advance, even before they're convinced that they need it. In times past, we preached the law, and once people were convicted of their sin, we explained the wonders of God's grace to them. But today, many preachers say that God loves you unconditionally, and God loves you just as you are, and the person listening hears, I can still sleep with my girlfriend. I can still be in love with my addictions, but thankfully, I'm pleasing to the Lord because of Jesus. In other words, unconditional love is interpreted as unconditional accepted of any lifestyle. The Word of God says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Lutzer says, I find it impossible to ignore dozens of references to God's wrath and anger not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament as well. Remember the flood. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah and Israel's own severe judgment for their idolatry. In the New Testament, remember the prediction of the Great Tribulation. 
Remember the judgments that are in the book of the Revelation. We have to stop preaching that God loves everyone unconditionally. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day, and the wicked are an abomination to Him. And R.C. Sproul has said, God doesn't send sin to hell. He sends sinners to hell. We need to believe that because it's part of the gospel. It's the words of Jesus. Woe to you. There's a lot of modern grace movements that are doing away with the wrath of God. And one of those proponents, Joseph Prince, says, God is not judging America or any country in the world. America and its sins have already been judged. Where? At the cross of Jesus. Sin has been judged at the cross. Incredibly, Prince, who is the most famous of the grace preachers, believes that even unbelievers cannot be under God's wrath because all sin was judged on the cross. The ancient Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, said it very well, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. We see we have to understand that Jesus himself pronounced judgment, woe to you. Go tell John a word of encouragement. Woe to you, a word of judgment for those who reject the gospel And now the sweetest words that he closes with in verses 25 to 30. Come to me. Come to me, ye, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to notice, first of all, the gracious invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned, remember what he did? He went and hid. (laughs) Hid from God. And so God's voice came in the cool of the evening. Adam, where are you? Again, God knew exactly where he was, but it was an invitation Adam, come on back. Come to me. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah also in chapter 55, verse 1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus said, come to me. The Pharisees said, do this. And tried to make the people follow Moses in the traditions. But true salvation is found only in the person. And the person of Jesus Christ. To come to Him means to trust Him as your Savior. A gracious invitation, but also a powerful deliverance is promised. Jesus says, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Those who are exhausted, those are burdened and weighed down. That's exactly how the people felt under the religious yoke and the bondage of the Pharisaic legalism. They were supposed to do all of these things and make sure that they wash the outside of the cup and make sure that they uh, don't go too many steps on the Sabbath day and they were doing all of these things to be right with God. And Jesus said, come, come to me. That's how you can be right with God. Believe in me, trust in me. Jesus says, 
Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. You're burdened down with guilt. You're burdened down with a sinful lifestyle that's got you in its grip. It's beaten you up and left you burdened down. Jesus said, come to me with your burdens and lay them on me. Notice the joyous journey that he talks about. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You find rest for your soul. What in the world is a yoke? Well, those of you who know anything about farm animals or back in the day, uh, an oxen would have two oxen were saddled with a yoke around them so that it would evenly distribute the burden. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Take my yoke upon you. The devil and the world is going to pile all kinds of things upon you, but you come to me and I'll give you the ability to handle the things of life. Take my, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know how unsaved people handle the difficulties and the problems and the pains of life. What do they do when the world crashes upon them? What do they do when everyone's rejecting them? Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Oh, my friend, he is gentle and humble. The three, three words of Jesus still echo through the corridors of history. Go tell John a word of encouragement. Woe to you a word of judgment upon those who reject him. And come to me a word of rest for our souls. I love to listen to Tony Evans on the radio. He tells a story about the Pelicano. It was once the most unwanted ship in the world. For over two years, it floated on the open seas and no port would accept it. The massive ship was turned away from at least 11 countries, including Honduras, Costa Rica, Guinea-Bissau, Cape Verde, and the Bahamas. It wandered the Caribbean, went to West Africa, sailed the Mediterranean, and roamed the Indian Ocean. It was only allowed to dock long enough to refuel and then go back to sea again. During those years, the Pelicano changed names two times and owners once. The reason for the wide-scale rejection of the Pelicano is because in 1986, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, didn't have very much brotherly love at all. The sanitation workers said that they didn't feel that love, so to speak, from the city that managed them, so they went on strike for almost an entire month. And a lot of trash can accumulate in a month in the, size of, the city size of Philadelphia. At first, they tried to ship their trash to Ohio. Ohio didn't want their trash. They tried to send it down to Georgia. Georgia wouldn't take it. So Philadelphia ended up doing what this. They incinerated their trash into 28 million pounds of scrap and ash, and they dumped it into the belly of a ship later called the Pelicano. The Pelicano became an infamous floating garbage dump with megatons of rotting trash containing toxic elements from arsenic to lead. No nation around the world wanted the, the Pelicano anywhere near them. It had a cargo of trash that couldn't get rid of. And then Tony Evans says, life has a way of unloading its junk on us too. Sometimes due to our sins, circumstances, and because of things others have done, 
Either intentionally or unintentionally, we get burdened under the weight of trash. In fact, over time, this trash becomes downright toxic. It produces the fumes of anger, guilt, pessimism, fear, and bitterness. So we end up floating from one person to another person or from one situation to another situation only to discover we get to hang around long enough to get some fuel, but no longer than that, no one wants our trash. We become weary. Jesus says, come to me. Bring all of your burdens. Bring all of your baggage. Bring all of your trash and all of your sins. Come to me, and I will take them all. Oh, my friend, I wonder, are you there today carrying a heavy weight, a weight of guilt, a weight of shame, a weight of sin? All you have to do is just bring all of that garbage. Bring all of that and come to the cross and accept Jesus as your Savior. And my friend, I believe that Jesus even accepts His children who've already been saved, come to me, and I will give your weary soul rest. For sinner and for saint, we're all invited, come to me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the words of Jesus, words of encouragement I go tell John, I'm the one. Words of judgment that warns us about rejecting such a gracious Savior. Woe to you. And words of invitation, like Jesus says to all of us, come to me. Lord, if there's one here today that needs to make that decision, that needs to make sure that they're Sins have been forgiven. God, work in their heart. May they, may they not rest until they come and lay all of their burdens at the cross. And God, speak to that heart today. Give them the courage to make that decision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. You come as we sing of God spoken to your heart. With all my heart, I want to love you. And live my life each day to know you more. All that is in me is yours completely. I'll serve you only with all my heart. With all my heart, I want to love you, Lord, and live my life. Day to know you more, all that is in me is yours completely. I serve you only with all my heart. Thank you so much, dear Lord, for the words of your Son Jesus, words of life, words that reveal the truth, words of invitation. I pray that we would go from this place with those words in our heart. In Jesus' precious name, amen.